Support for America Made Easy and the following message come from Nuable Levitas, the transatlantic joint venture supporting ambitious SMEs was setting up in the United States. We help make entrepreneurs' lives easier by providing an operational solution for their U.S. expansion strategies so they can focus on driving revenue and doing what they got into business to do in the first place. Hello and welcome to the America Made Easy podcast, the bi-weekly show where we help international SMEs tackle the complexity of setting up and growing their business in the American market. I'm your host, Morgan Pierstor, and on today's episode, we are exploring marketing and branding strategy for international firms planning a U.S. expansion. We'll be covering key insights about the complexity of the U.S. marketing landscape and how customers react and behave differently across the U.S., We will also discuss the appropriate planning and tools international firms should leverage in order to position their brand for success in the U.S. market. Today, I am joined by Avidus Marketing Services Manager, Kevin O'Craigley. Kevin has over 15 years in the enterprise or Fortune 100 space, delivering digital solutions and working with large brands such as L'Oreal, New York Life, Adobe, and Under Armour. Kevin shifted focus to the small to medium business market a few years ago to help bring the lessons and innovation learned with the big players to the SMEs. Kevin specializes in helping companies build their brand, define their audience, and go to market. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, Kevin, and uh, welcome to the America Made Easy podcast. We're excited to have you join us. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. What's, uh, you're, you're calling in from uh, from Billings, Montana. So what's what's the weather like there at the moment? I'm sitting here in London uh, for our listeners, and uh, we have Kevin on the phone. You know, it's not bad. Blue sky, uh, still some snow on the ground, um, still some really good skiing, uh, about uh, 10 or 12 feet up in the mountains. So not, not complaining. We missed our 40 below uh, end of January cold snap, so I'm happy about that. Well, uh, I, it sounds like things could be worse at the moment. So <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we'll take it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, we're really excited to have you here. You know, we've had some, we've covered some deep topics so far on the podcast. We've talked about recruitment. We've talked about entity formation. Um, we've got, uh, you know, some conversations going on about tax, but this is a bit more fun of a topic uh, with marketing and branding. So, we're excited to kind of let our hair down a little bit and to dive into topics that everybody, you know, has some experience with and loves to talk about, but doesn't have, of course, the expertise that, that you are bringing to the table. So we're really lucky to, to have you here. And I uh, just want to maybe, you know, kick off with um, our first kind of point of conversation being that, you know, of course, we've got a lot of international listeners, uh, primarily in the UK, but perhaps elsewhere as well. And they're thinking about the market, you know, they're thinking about launching their company there. Um, and when they're thinking about their brand, they're, I think, hoping they don't have to completely change um, the brand for their product or their service. Um, but of course, we should expect that there's going to be a little bit of adaptation to fit within the new country's culture uh, and not the other way around. So uh, I was just curious if you could kind of get us started here speaking about, you know, in your view, the elements of U.S. culture that international firms should adjust to the most, and and perhaps in your experience, um, you know what you've seen that inter- international firms often miss when it comes to making that adjustment for U.S. culture. Yeah, a- absolutely. And f- for us, it really starts with the brand. And 
um, going deep into understanding as an organization who you are, what what makes you special, your culture, um, you know what the not just what the mission of the organization is, but uh, it really all the uh, all the things in between. You know, what are the fun moments? You know, what are the reasons, the successes, the the tragedies that, that have happened with this organization that kind of formed who you are and and how you got to this point and you know our our advice and and what our mission always is is to to take that that dna of of who you are and not lose any of that genuineness or credibility or passion uh or or just that that identity of of who who the who the brand is but translate that to to something that the the u.s audience is really going to to grab onto um, and, and it's so critical that, that none of that like genuineness or the grit or the passion is, is really lost at all. Uh, it, it just needs to really just be translated. And, you know, you can look around and you can see examples of, of brands that have tried to just kind of go after, you know, like overdo it, try to be genuine and miss the mark. Um, and you, you can tell they're trying too hard. Uh, they're, they're that, they're the brand that, that person at the party that's just trying too hard that just can't start a conversation. Uh, and people can tell it's, um, you know, uh, the, the U S market wants to identify with brands that, that, um, that they feel emotionally connected to that are aligned, you know, to some sort of, you know, lifestyle or brand promise that, that they're aligned to, uh, and they want that uniqueness and they want that, that sensation that, that they're special. And, And the only reason or the only way to get that uh, genuinely is to, is to just be really proud of who you are as a brand today and then just manage that, that translation to the U S market very carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you said there about DNA. Uh, I think it's important for them not to lose sight of, of who they are. And, um, you know, I, I think I can you know, speak a lot regarding a lot of the companies we're working with over here in the UK uh, Americans like to work with British companies. We love the British brand. We love the accent. You know, there's all these great things about being, um, you know, an international company that make it unique. Uh, and it's really, as you put it, um, translating that that core DNA um, to the the appropriate market, but not losing what makes them uh, authentic. Which I guess is a word that gets tossed around quite a bit, but authenticity um, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. I, I think it, even when we're dealing with, with brands, even just domestically or domestic customers, and they're trying to go through this translation, it's, it, it's a challenge. And, and it's always, you know, the very first bullet point, you know, that we start with is, you know, we need to know who you are first. You, you need to be comfortable in your own skin as a brand. Uh, and we may need to evolve it. You know, we may need to, you know, to dust it off a little bit, but um, it, it's, uh, it's pretty universal. I, but I think it's, it's especially important in coming into this, uh, you know, into this you know, crazy set of diverse audiences that we have uh, over here, um, and kind of launching into it for the first time. That I think it's if you, if we don't get that right, the the cornerstone really won't be set, and and you'll end up kind of um, paying for that that not investing in that uh, upfront. Well, to that point of, you know, really having to cater to a really diverse um, audience in the U.S., could you speak a little bit or paint a picture about, you know, in your mind, the average American consumer and the differences that, you know, stand out into the way that they consume information, they consume services that perhaps might not be something that our listeners would be familiar with? 
Oh man, the the average American consumer. I, I don't know that there is such a thing. <laughs> there is no average American consumer, um, and you know it's just really changed. I would say just with the explosion of you know hyper personalization that you know social media and the the explosion of all that in the last ten fifteen years has really brought is. Um, a consumer really demands that a brand and a service or a product pretty much wraps around the individual consumer and, and meets them where they are. And, uh, you know, whether that be in the touch points, like you better have an app that is at my fingertips 24 seven or, uh, or if I call, I expect to be treated a certain way. Or, you know, when I open up your packaging, I expect it to, you know, look and feel a certain way. Like oh, sometimes almost the package is, is, is most, uh, as, as, as important as what's in it, uh, in the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the average American consumer, I mean, I, I think there's an infinite number of segments, um, is, is, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's like, it's, (laughs) it's probably down to someone's fingerprint of, you know, how you can, how you can segment. And, and because of that, uh, it really becomes critical to say, you know, we can't be for everybody. You know, you you can't do a, a, a mass launch and have a product or a service that, that has wide, wide audiences. Um, even if that's the case, even if your product does apply to a, a wide audience, you can't start there. Like you, you have to start with, you know, some, some very focused audience, uh, audiences know that audience as well as they know themselves, um, build what we call kind of a tribe, uh, and get that first hundred, uh, and really understand the first hundred people, your first hundred core, you know, audience and learn from them. Uh, and the, the name of the game is to anticipate what they want before they know what they want. And, and kind of lead them down that, you know, uh, a crafty customer journey uh, that's mainly value driven. Um, you know, you want to be kind of talking value 80% of the time and then, you know, asking 20% of the time. Um, and then you can start to kind of radiate out from there, kind of concentric circles, you know, out of that, that first audience and start to grow it and make it bigger. Um, you know, but how we look at that, uh, geography has a, a huge impact on the definition of your audience, you know, where they are in the country, what, you know, what city, state, zip code, whatever, wherever they are, that can be how you talk to someone who has similar needs in Portland could be extremely different than how you talk to somebody who has the exact same needs and you're going to send the same product to in, in Miami. Um, uh, so that, that has a huge bearing on it. Um, so I think just being, being very strategic about, who you want to target first and why and how you want to grow your first set of audiences and taking the time to really get to know them and invest that time kind of up front. So then you can, you can start to grow and scale your audiences and, and do it a, in, in a much more cost effective way. Mm-hmm. And I trust that kind of, you know, you said obviously hyper personalized, it's also really a hyper competitive market. Um, and perhaps maybe a strong, you know, marketing plan can't, quite cut through the noise, you know, does it take more than that given this hyper personalized, hyper competitive space? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's even the clients over here, like we'll, we'll see a, cl- a client that has a really specific product, a really specific niche. And they're like, Oh no, you know, this is going to be easy because we're really specific. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It, it doesn't matter how niched you are. There's probably 20 competitors that you didn't even know about. Um, and, and, and they're just, and they're kind of sucking up all the SEO. Um, 
so it is it is insanely competitive um and then it's also that competition is very dynamic because when you deploy a strategy you know whether it be digital traditional whatever type of of tactics are in your strategy um your competition is going to react very quickly and 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 the 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 impact of their quick reaction is is very fast like you, you have to be kind of changing your tactics almost week by week um because you may have something that starts to to take hold and then, you know, boom, like your direct, your, your biggest competitor shifts something or reinvest something or, or, or starts to kind of buy your audience out from under you and you have to react to that. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's not something that you can just kind of, you know, create the plan, deploy the plan and kind of sit back and say, yep, yeah, this is you know, the money's going to start rolling in. Right. Uh, uh, it has to be kind of really daily monitored and nurtured. And I hate to say it, but it, uh, even down to the, to the baby startups, like, you know, even launching a tiny product into a tiny audience, it's, it it still takes that level of, of nurturing. uh, And it just grows and scales up from there. You know, I think that's tough for, you know, firms, I'm sure you've seen it. I see it that they've got a tremendous amount of brand recognition and their home market, you know, if that's here in the UK or if it's elsewhere, Um, but they're really starting from scratch in the U S. Um, and you know, that's where many of our listeners are finding themselves They're, you know, they've, they've done really well at home and they're wanting to share this in in the largest consumer market in the world where they think they can also have traction. Um, but they've got to manage expectations. Um, it sounds like as well. Can you really speak to why that's so important? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is so important. Um, and I, I think part of that transition uh, of coming into a U.S. market is like, I, I think the rule of like the, the unit of measure outside of the U.S. is that you know, hey, our, our product or service it works great. You know, it delivers, it over delivers, it's functional, and we've described it, and it's and it's as even maybe even better than advertised, and and so you're seeing success from that. Um, here, you have to do that, but then you also have to really make someone feel something. Like you have to appeal to their kind of um, the emotional side, even with products and services that are dry, um, you know, take a bank account, you know, or, or an insurance policy. Um, you can get drier than that. You can't get drier than that. I, I spent a lot of time in, in the financial services sector and it was at the time when um, kind of insurance and, you know, Geico was making like their big push in the markets. And um, I was with two very large um to the largest actually um, in insurance providers and everybody was just completely freaking out because they had no idea how to take their 150 year old business and, and transition this into more of a, a story, you know, a story that, that someone can get behind, like a kind of a, now saying that, you know, a bank account, like this, this dry checking account that people have had forever. Now somehow it's like a, an emotional attachment to your daily life because a, a smaller company a, came in, disrupted the market and they, they said, well, Hey, like this is something that you touch every day. This is something that's very important to you. This is something that if you make a small mistake, there's a financial penalty. Like, and, and so the, wh- whoever brilliant person, what brilliant marketer figured out that like, you know, th- that there is a lifestyle story to something as dry as an insurance policy or bank account <laughs> disrupted the market in, in like a year. Yeah. Uh, and it, it literally put, you know, these billion dollar companies on their heels. Um, so, um, being able to like being willing or, or at least being open to say, we have to put our ego aside as a brand. We have to put our success aside. We have to say, we want to honor and pull, pull all of this 
great stuff forward, this great part of our culture forward with her brand and our product. But what we do need to now find a story that's going to more emotionally resonate to, to a U.S. consumer. Mm-hmm. While, while not, I think, you know, while not losing credibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, um, even in, in those dry markets, at least a company in the U.S. domestic company, they're starting with something. But I think so many of our listeners are thinking, you know, I have no brand value in the U.S. Where do I start and, and how do I scale? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it, I think you need to start with a blank canvas. I, I think you need to kind of be vulnerable and and bring your, you know, bring your brands, you know, to the table and, you know, sit with some, you know, sit with some subject matter experts, um, maybe some experts that can help kind of translate what your, you know, intended audience, you know, what, what they're going to be looking for, uh, what's important to that audience and, and go through you know, an exercise of, you know, some brand rehab and, and say, you know, how are we going to maintain, you know, who we are, be bold about who we are, but, uh, you know, be willing to kind of, um, you know, put, put everything aside and in pursuit that uh, in the pursuit of kind of recreating how we are going to, how we are going to do business here, how we are going to, you know, attract and retain you know, customers here and be, and, and it, and be okay that it's going to be different and, uh, and recognize that, you know, you're not going to be able to take the same type of tactics and strategy and deploy them here. Like they, they will have to be different. But I think if you embrace that and just kind of use a little more of a blank slate kind of philosophy, I think you'll, you'll get a lot further quicker. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you've already said, you know, geography matters. Uh, and I think, you know, probably some of our listeners are a bit curious, you know, are there certain markets in the U.S. that are more open to international brands? Or at the very least, how does location impact you know, the opportunities that they might have? And, and how should that play into their decision making? Yeah, good question. I, I, I mean, I think it. I think that's really going to to depend on the you know the product, service, or offering. You know, what type of offering it is, and then is that something that where you know uh, an international influence is going to add credibility or add mystique or add add emotion. Uh, there's plenty of of great examples of I think where that you know where that can happen. Um, and uh, uh, but th- there could be another product where. Maybe it's more of a hometown Main Street USA product, and and that's just something you have to kind of you have to reckon, you have to take it head on and be like, well, hey, it is what it is. This product is going to appeal to Main Street USA, and and maybe maybe that might work against us. Now, we don't want to, um, you know, we want to still be bold about who you are. You want to, like I said, be genuine and and be okay with um, uh, who you are as a brand, but that is definitely something you should take into consideration. Uh, and then with geography, um, I, I, I wouldn't say as like a, a blanket statement, like I can, you know, uh, um, uh, a New York or LA or, a, you know, something would be, you know, more open or not open to, you know, an international brand. I, I actually think it does come down to what is the product service or offering and, and how does that product or service or offering in the audience, h- how would they align to an international message? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's less dependent yeah. on, on, on the actual geography. I think it's just the audience in that ge- geography the, mm-hmm. the the geography then is going to very greatly determine, you know, what type of tactics are we going to set out? Like, uh, for example, we just did some pricing for, 
um, radio and print and billboard media, you know, in the uh, New Jersey, New York area. Um, and uh, we knew it was going to be expensive, you know, and uh, we didn't quite know it was going to be that expensive. We were blown out of our seats. <laughs> uh, that same campaign, uh, we could triple the size of it and and run that in Midwest or even on the even on the, the Pacific Northwest, really anywhere. Um, and, and get, you know, five times, you know, five times bang for the buck. So, uh, you wow. know, yeah, the, the, the tactics vary greatly depending on, uh, on geography. Well, I think that's a really good point that you've made here because, um, so many international companies that don't have a tremendous amount of familiarity with the U S market are very quick to think I need to be in New York or yeah. if I'm going to sell my product in the U S I've got to advertise it there. Uh, but it, it is a huge market. It's a huge of opportunity, and even at a regional perspective, they can get a lot more bang for their buck, perhaps, in one of these lower-tier markets that don't cost nearly as much but have a ton of people and avid consumers living in them and would be just as happy to, to buy their products. So I trust it's certainly something to consider um, from a price standpoint as you've laid out. Oh, it's a huge consideration. And, you know, the saying, like, it's it's – it's an old saying, but you know, if, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And, and it is true. It's, and it applies to pretty much everything. But, um, that's, you, you may be able to make it there, but that's probably not where you want to start. You know? So if you're that, if you're that actor getting off the bus in Times Square, like you probably shouldn't be starting acting school <laughs> at that point. You should have, right. <laughs> you should have honed your talent in like, you know, St. Louis or, or Minnesota or something. Uh, and then, uh, and won a bunch of awards and then gone to New York. So I think that that same type of philosophy would be here. I think, you know, start in some mid markets, um, where, the cost of acquisition is going to be a fraction uh, of what it is in a, in a major market. Um, and I, I know that the population densities, you know, aren't as big, but your, but your cost of acquisition is when it's one tenth or one twentieth, you know, the cost of, of, of acquisition in a major market, then all of a sudden the numbers start to make sense. Um, mm -hmm. and, I mean, you can easily deploy in five mid, you know, re reasonably sized mid market, uh, you know, mid market areas uh, where you could just only deploy in half of a zip code, uh, you know, in, in the, you know, New York or DC or, you know, any of those metro, metro areas. So, cause reach is also important. You know, it's, if you're, if you're really, really popular with like half a zip code in New York, you know, how much brand value does that compare to being really, really popular in 10 major mid market cities? Right. And, and so, mm -hmm. so brand recognition also has a play there too, as, as part of that strategy. So, and I mean, I might be a little biased. We, we like to kind of build in the, in the mid markets uh, and get a little bit more coverage, a little more cost effectively, because what we can learn about, um, kind of proving out your strategies, proving out your audience, pro you know, proving out all these assumptions, uh, then once we have that kind of wrapped up and a lot tighter, then take that to the bigger markets, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, anyone who's spent any time in the market understands that a bit more, but for new firms, um, I'm glad you pointed that out because it's something that they just may not have considered uh, due to a lack of familiarity and understanding there's a lot of opportunity between the coasts um, in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, another way to look at it, too, like, uh, this is an extreme example, but, you know, take a look at Madison Avenue or something uh, and all the flagship stores and all that, you know, I, I'll bet almost those, the, the actual stores, you know, on Madison Avenue probably don't make any money. In fact, they probably lose money. You know, it's just, it's marketing that, that you know, they're there because they're 15,000 locations across 
the heartland are the ones that make the money. Um, but they're, mm-hmm. but they have to have a presence in New York and, and, and it costs them money, you know? So, yeah, you know, their so, distribution centers are going to be in Ohio and in yeah. Kentucky and these other places, uh, but their flagship might be there, for example. Yep. Um, what, one other thing I wanted to ask you um, is just, you know, the different channels in the U.S. in terms of, of how consumers are really finding brands. Obviously, we've touched just now Madison Avenue, thinking about flagship stores and some of these really big, um, you know, in terms of physical locations. But what other, you know, uh, channels, digital and otherwise, um, are, are, you know, uh, really playing well in the market right now for, for SMEs or otherwise? Oh boy. Um, channels, you know, it's funny. I, if you would have asked this exact question, like, you know, a year ago, I I think it would be a very different answer. Um, you know, there's just some changes happening in digital right now. Um, we're not in a very short period of time, the way that we can target on digital and retarget on digital just due to kind of privacy and how some things are going to be changed. Tools are going to be taken away uh, for digital marketers as far as privacy goes. Uh, so I think that that's going to have a little bit of a of an impact kind of on on the digital channel as a whole. Um, but that being said, we we believe that you need to look at channels as a portfolio. And you know, like any portfolio, if you, if you just invest in one thing, that's just a lot of risk. Uh, so if you're entire strategy is Facebook <laughs> and you're putting all of your eggs in that basket or if your entire strategy is pay-per-click, um, that's just not, it's not healthy. Um, you know, one change from any one of those providers can, you know, potentially, you know, completely kneecap, uh, you know, kneecap your traffic or, or leads. So when we look at a brand and specifically the audience, we, we really dive into the audience and what is their buyer journey? Uh, how are they going to make decisions? What is most important to them? What is their daily routine? Um, how, how are these, um, uh, touch points that we have, whether it be a print or billboard or radio or TV or digital or whatever, uh, how are all these touch points going to be most meaningful to them? Uh, cause we believe that seeing something isn't enough. You know, we, we have to make an impact. We have to make some sort of, um, you know, kind of reaction in someone's brain. So they, they have a positive, uh, a positive interpretation of your brand and of your message. And part of that, part of them receiving it in a positive way is the channel in which they received it on. So, uh, if, if that audience, you know, if there, there, if there's an element of that audience that wants to see a quote unquote, you know, investment in hometown USA, then that's going to be physical signage. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be aligning that phys- physical signage to specific, lo- you know, locations that, you know, that, that kind of tell that story um, above and beyond, you know, what you're saying. You know, the the simply sometimes the placement of that sign is, says as much about the brand as as what what's actually on the sign. Um, so we want to look at that portfolio of channels and say, you know, what it, what are the right touch points that are that are going to deliver your valuable message the most effective way and and at what point in that journey from someone knowing about you for the first time to maybe you know the however 10 12 15 20 touch points to actually engaging with you um you know which channel aligns to to that journey the best and, and make sure that we kind of balance our our portfolio against really the the, the journey that someone's going to go on um and, and when i say you know user journey and 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 all that you know 
we get that down into not just one journey from one audience. I mean, you should really be breaking down your journey into as many segments as possible. And, and the, the more you get to know your audience, like the more segments you should be creating and, and the, and tuning your, your journey. So it's, so when somebody sees something, whether it be on digital or print or hologram or whatever, they actually feel like you're talking directly to them uh, because you know them yeah. so well. And that, that, and I, I'm sure like you've, you've experienced that before. Like, you know, if you're living your online life and doing whatever shopping or, you know, doing the stuff that we all do and you see something and it makes you pause, you're like, wow, like that, that's good. You know, <laughs> they got that right. Uh, it, it's probably because, you know, a lot of thought went into, you know, your habits and, and what you're interested in. And then they're very crafty about them, making sure that you, you know, you see just the right message at just the right time. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to this, this personalization, um, which is so important uh, in any market, but particularly the U.S. market, um, and, and really understanding what their consumer um, is looking for, where they're looking for it at, and, and how to get in front of them, which then kind of goes to that, that physical product as well. Um, you know, you touched on earlier, um, the look and the feel of a product is important as well from a packaging perspective. Could you speak a little bit about, um, you know, what, what firms should be considering on the packaging front, whether, you know, um, in the U.S. if there's any, you know, kind of differences that you see there or, or general trends that should be considered? Oh, yeah. I, we, we have become such a picky um, a picky set of consumers that sometimes it's almost embarrassing. Like, uh, and, and I'm right there with everybody. I, I got a package the other day. I was kind of anticipating it and it showed up and it was pretty small. It was like one of those puff packs and I get the puff pack and it's like wrapped in this like old school, old timey brown packing tape. And it, I mean, it literally looked like it, it was like, uh, you know, put together in a uh, <laughs> very haphazardly and so I'm cutting through this tape and uh, I finally get, you know, this, uh, you know, packing paper was like, you know, from the, I don't know, from the yesteryear and I finally get through it and I get to my product and, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, this is really the first impression I have of this product and it's a great product. I love it. I'm using it, but um, it, it was a really, it was a missed opportunity of that, that introduction and, you know, with everybody shopping on Amazon and, and, and the and the 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 whole door delivery uh, thing being as big as what it is, especially oh my gosh, especially in um, now food delivery uh, is exploding. But the the packaging really is a handshake. It it's it's meeting your brand for the first time, and and so if if someone shows up to your door and you know wh- whether you're a salesperson or whatever, and and you're in you know sloppy cargo shorts and untucked Hawaiian shirt and you haven't showered in two days like that, you know, that that's going to have a, a very different impression than someone showing up like, you know, put together and, and, you know, yeah. have a good, you know, good articulated message. So, um, so the packaging, it has to be premium. It has to be green and it has to be clever. Uh, and there's a lot of really great ways to do that without making the packaging cost as much as the product, uh, which is another, <laughs> which is another challenge. But, um, uh, I, I think putting some thought into that, that first impression and, and treating it as, as if you are shaking your customer's hand for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bit of a balancing act. I've, I've worked with 
number of different companies who are kind of going through those challenges on the packaging. You know, they they want it to be sustainable. They they want it to be attractive. Um, you know, you only need to watch so many unboxing videos <laughs> to know that it matters. Um, but you have you know, it can also be costly. So um, it, it's an important thing for companies to consider, of course. Uh, absolutely, and um, it, it, I think especially think. Even even in digital products, I, I just thinking of another story. Over Christmas, I uh, bought my eight year old daughter a gaming system. I won't mention the name just so I don't get sued. Uh, but <laughs> some, one of the very US popular. Is a listeners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but one of the uh, one of the premium console uh, things, and uh, and I'm going through this onboarding setup process. The account creation uh, didn't work, and this is like Christmas Day, and and. Uh, uh, she couldn't play it and cause I couldn't, it wouldn't give me the confirmation email and, and just the entire like, um, first impression of that product. I, I literally wanted to just put it back in the box and, and send it home before, before it even got in her hands because I, I don't, I don't know how someone missed that. Like it was so complicated to get this, you know, gaming system that's designed for young kids just ready to play. Uh, it, it was just a, I don't know how that made it through, you know, made it through to the market um, where other products, you know, there's an expectation that you can, that you can pick it up. And no matter how complicated, no matter how sophisticated the product, there's an expectation that someone should be able to pick it up and use it. And, and that the, the manual, like there is no manual. The manual is the product. Uh, The product should be, should be done well enough to where you don't, shouldn't have to need like a getting started guide. Right. Yeah. To be intuitive in that way. Yep. And, and that, that's a huge miss. Uh, and don't, I, I don't want to go off on a rant here, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a lot of what we do is, is looking at, you know, is not just marketing, but, you know, really putting, um, uh, an eye on the product or service itself, uh, because the product or service that, that you're selling, it, really that is your best marketing. I, I mean, I, I will tell you hands down, like, uh, invest in those those details because that is your best mm-hmm. your best marketing investment, uh, and so we do that a lot. You know, w- whether it be digital interfaces or packaging interfaces or whatever those things are uh, for your product or service, spend the time on those details. Spend the time on user interface. Spend the time on user experience, and and make sure that the uh, that that is going to be absolutely smooth. Because if you don't get it right to this U.S. market you will be dead to them. Like they will, it, it, like myself, I like I was, if I couldn't get that game console running in five minutes on Christmas day, I was about, <laughs> it was going to, it was going to, it was going to wind <laughs> out out in the snowbank. Um, and I will never well, buy I that think product. You're getting at something here and that's that, uh, American consumers, uh, myself included, we're, we're impatient, right? Uh, and we are, you know, particular and we want things to, to, you know, to be efficient and we, we don't want them to do what they say. And, um, you know, I think we, we can be impatient as consumers. And that's not just with, you know, um, packaging. That's not just with user manuals. Um, you know, I think it, it also, we have a lot of clients that, you know, they don't yet have a U.S.-facing website. They don't have a U.S. phone number. And they, you know, perhaps are, are thinking that isn't an issue, but it, it really is um, because your average U.S. consumer you know, they're going to be put off a bit by trying to call an international number. And we talked to a lot of clients about that. Americans want, you know, things to be easy. 
Um, and you have to really have, I think, that lens um, in your, your product development, of course, uh, your packaging, uh, and your marketing. Is that fair? You know, I'll take that a step further. Uh, and and there, there is a, there's a little bit of an ugly side to, you know, to how impatient we are. And not only are we impatient, like we will cast that product aside and never use it again. But then there's, tw- there's 10 competitors right behind you that are dying to get their product into my hands once I've rejected your product. And not only that, I'm going to go about, not me personally, but metaphorically me, uh, I'm going to go about on social media and to all my friends and to forums, I'm going to say how bad your product is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mm. tell you about it on your Facebook page. I'm going to tweet about you. I'm going to take a picture of my failed, you know, onboarding game console experience. <laughs> and I'm going to share it to everybody. <laughs> no, obviously I wouldn't do that. But um, there's, there's a lot of people that do. People do. People do. And, and, and it's a real thing. And it's from, you can have, you, you could be a baby company and it could be just yourself and you could just be starting up. And someone will treat you the same as if you are a multi-global billion dollar conglomerate. Like people will rip you up and down if you don't get it right. Um, Mm. And and I think, I I don't love that about, you know, where we are as as consumers. I I think we all need to have a lot more, you know, grace and patience and realize that we're all in this together and trying to do our best. But that is the landscape. And and I think if, if you don't, really recognize that or understand how quickly it can come around and bite you, um, you can really be, you could be really be sunk before you even get started. Well, I think that's, you know, an important point to make because uh, clearly in this example, I went you know, for the company that will not be named, <laughs> um, that you were just giving, even the big guys can make mistakes and they do. Right. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are plenty of case studies out there of, um, even large companies that try to enter the U.S. market and perhaps haven't thought through the nuances that have made mistakes. So it's it's not just that a, a small you know company lacking um, as much capacity as as a larger competitor would be facing these challenges. Um, anybody can make these mistakes. Um, you know, and on that point, I don't know if you might speak to just any kind of roadblocks or common mistakes that you've seen. Maybe this this is one of them as we've just been talking about. But anything else that even even big companies you've seen have made when entering the U.S. market. Yeah, and I think it, it really starts there. And, and and just real quick on on make the big companies making mistakes, they absolutely do. In fact, they're usually the ones that make the biggest mistakes, because and I spent you know a lot of years in you know in the in these in the walls of these companies where you know a lot of these decisions were being made, and and um, you these big companies cannot turn and pivot on a dime. They are massive tanker ships. They cannot make decisions. It is very difficult for them to innovate. It takes years for them to take even a simple innovation or simple product to market um, because of the bureaucracy and just you know how big they are. And, and so I think that that has created enormous opportunity here for, for startups and, and people mm-hmm. who are brilliant that have a great product that they did in their dorm room or their basement or whatever. And because they did take the time to be a craftsperson, they, they took the time to think about the experience. They, they really poured themselves into it and they launched it. And all of a sudden they find out that, wow, we, we struck something with an audience. The audience is really supporting us. They're casting aside, you know, this thing that they use that they're maybe they're d- parents used or the grandparents used Gillette's the biggest, the biggest example of that. Right. So, um, dollar shave club completely disrupted a multi-billion dollar industry mm-hmm. in, in record time. 
right? And, and, and that was literally started out of someone's house, right? So, uh, and, and, and it's because um, people, people really do want something very genuine and, very, and, and they want great things. And, and it's very difficult for big companies to create great things unless they already have it. Um, and so the opportunity is there. And so I think to, to really uh, capture it, again, you just have to, you have to put aside the notion of thinking, oh, we're just going to take what we do and kind of slam it over into the U.S. market. Not, it's not going to work. Like, it, that, that, mm-hmm. will, that will blow up in your face. Um, but if you, if you kind of put everything aside and say, okay, you know, how, how can we think about marketing as, as investing it into, into our journey, into our product, uh, and, and making what we have amazing, because even if you're competing against you know, the bigger brands, know that they can't pivot. They can't change quick. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in that. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think it's, it, it's, um, that, that kind of that bad behavior that, that the U S market, the U S audiences have has also created this like artifact of really great opportunity that, that someone will support. I mean, look at Kickstarter. I mean, someone they'll pay money to support a product that they believe in that doesn't even exist yet. I mean, Talk about mm-hmm. talk about dedicated consumers that that are really after the best product, um, you know. So yeah. if, so if you invest in what you're doing early uh, and take those those kind of those slower steps and maybe you know leave the ego at the door, uh, then I think there's a really good chance of success. Now for a quick break. This week's top tip for the U.S. market is brought to you by Allison Stewart Allen, co-author of Working with Americans the first ever business manual exclusively about U.S. business culture. One of the top tips for working with Americans is knowing that guides are good. Uh, Americans use outside advisors as a regular part of our business lives. If it's a lawyer or a management consultant or an accountant uh, who's appearing in meetings, don't be surprised or even offended. Uh, These are routine advisors that uh, appear in uh, our sessions just to make sure that they can preempt any potential problems that might arise down the line. Thanks, Allison. Our listeners can visit the book's website, workingwithamericans.com, to download two free chapters and claim a 20% discount on ordering the book until December 31st, 2020, with the code WWA20. And Kevin, you've really you know, had quite a... Uh, a wide-reaching uh, professional experience working with a lot of companies, a lot of global firms in the Fortune 100 space, and, and also now with a lot of uh, small and medium-sized clients, uh, both you know foreign and domestic. How does your approach to advising and working with these, you know, the international firms differ from domestic firms, uh, and if it does, how? At, at that larger scale, um, I, I, it's not really different. I mean, I, it's it's all, it's just all a lot of bureaucracy and, and all a lot of, um, indecision. Uh, I, and you know, most of the, the larger organizations that I, that I was with over those years, I mean, there was, there was, um, international component, the domestic component, uh, you know, their departments are usually, you know, uh, you know, kind of, um, uh, the departments almost active as like, you know, companies within companies. Uh, but even those departments have, you know, may have, um, you know, international components. So trying to, for those larger companies to gain consensus and, and just to, to be agile and move quickly is, is very difficult. Um, you know, just, just because of the size that they are and, 
and um, their inability to just be nimble. Um, and knowing that if you are going to be, you know, entering this market, I think the, the one of the best tools that you can have as a business is to set yourself up to be nimble, um, create a segment or, or organize yourself as a business so you can make decisions on, on a dime, like be able to make a decision in a day and, and be mm-hmm. decisive. Um, you know, I, I think, I think one of the, the, the biggest challenges or, or things that can, I, I think kind of, um, stop you from succeeding is, is stagnating. Like I, I think those that are willing to, um, make quick, small decisions and, and pivot, uh, are, are going to quickly overrun those that are just paralyzed, uh, either by their own size or, or by, by bureaucracy or, or indecision. Uh, and so I, I think that even making small mistakes in the, in the pursuit of, you know, providing a great service to your customer, even making those mistakes, if you're transparent about those mistakes and you just own them, to your audience and say, oh, our bad, you know, we, this is why we were trying this. We meant the best. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we're, we're working to fix it. You know, that's actually some, uh, something that the U S audience has a tremendous amount of sympathy for is that transparency and, and saying, uh, you know, Hey, you've come with us this far, you've bought into our brand. You know, we, we've struck a chord with you. We're not always going to get it right, but when we do get it wrong, you know, we, we're going to own it with you. Right. And, and, yeah. And that's another thing that, that large corporations just, they just can't do. It's it, um there's very few that can do that. Uh, or if, if they do do it a lot of times, it's, it's very produced. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously we've got kind of probably a lot of different uh, thoughts flowing through the minds of our listeners at the moment, things that need to be prepared to, you know, adjust for the market and, you know, perhaps they're questioning now that we've raised these points, you know, is their brand positioned correctly um, and of course those are very core you know questions that get to the heart of their DNA as a company as you mentioned and and it's really important of course to start at that level at that very you know deep kind of you know inward looking um, plane in order to figure out where to go from there and I, I think that you know that's something that Avitas group does through the the, band, the brand discovery process which is really at the heart of how you all serve clients and, and build up a strategy for the marketplace. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that process and what firms can do during it to ensure that they're building a successful foundation. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the very first thing I, I would recommend, and, and, and this is not a pitch for me <laughs> or a pitch for our agency, <laughs> I, I would bring in a third party um, because you know, trying to look inward at yourself um, you know, can pretty, pretty quickly become an echo chamber. Um, or yeah, you better challenge yourself, right? Yeah, and, and I think I think you re- you need a third party coming in to kind of keep everybody keep everybody honest and uh, ask the tough questions or you know kind of uh, address those those elephants in the room. And, uh, and and so what we do in our approach is uh, we are that third party. Uh, it is it is part psychologist, it is part rehab, it is part branding, <laughs> it is part, it, it's all those things. And and really what we're doing is we're we're really just uh, guiding, guiding the organization through. How did you get here? Like, h- help us understand like what your what your passions are, um, all the way from the from the the beginnings, 
uh, what were the challenges along the way? What did you learn along the way? Um, your, your people, like how, you know, how, um, what's it like to, uh, you know, a day in the life, you know, to be here and, and, and what does that passion feel like? And we absorb all that with a critical eye. Uh, you know, a lot of times, um, when we do a, a brand assessment, we ask that, uh, we actually have a, a fairly broad audience in the room. So it's not just the owners or the stakeholders. We, we want people who have really contributed to the brand. Uh, we've had, we've had sessions where, uh, you know, they brought the you know the guy that runs that runs shipping and operations in the back because he's been there for 20 years and and he he just really knows the company and he's been um, you know very committed and, and loyal and passionate and they 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 really appreciated you know his point of view that helped actually surface some challenges or, or surface I think some of those elephants in the room of um, well hey you know we've always done this because we've always operated this way because that's how our that's just how we do it. And, 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 and nobody ever really stopped to ask like, well, does this, does this policy really serve our customers? Like, is, is this making us a better company? And, and I think it's, it's taking that time to kind of uncover all of those, all of those challenges. Um, and once, once we then kind of get to go through that process, uh, that little bit of a rehab process uh, or intervention sometimes, um, then we are able to re uh, you know, come back to the table with an assessment of this is really who you are. You know, we, we put all of this passion, all of the, you know, this, this multi-day session of, of all these things that we heard and we distill that down into this is who you are. This is why you are valuable to your customers. And, and this is, and this, these set of statements encapsulate the essence of what you do. And, and we, we write that in a way that is both first internally meaningful to the organization. So, so they themselves can, we can all rally together and say, this is who we are. And it's, it's written right here. And, and we can now understand why does we do what we do. Then the second step is then we create a version of that to say, what is the, you know, what is the consumer side? You know, what, what, how does this translate to our audience and our customers and, and how, how do they perceive us and, and how, how do we want to, to serve them? Uh, we come up with that language. And that is really the, uh, the heavy lifting uh, of, a, of a branding session. Now, design and look and feel and logos and strategy and tactic, all, all of those things are very important, but none of them will be effective if we really don't get down to the bare metal of understanding who you are as an organization and, and help us as a third party translate that to in, in, in a way that is like really meaningful, very impactful. And oh, by the way, we have to we have to communicate this to somebody in five seconds. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're a 50 year old company, how do you summarize you know 50 years of commitment to business in five seconds? Right? So, so that yeah. you know, especially when you're bridging a new culture, right? Yeah. Um, and you can't make the same assumptions as you as you did in the UK or whatever market you're coming from. Yeah, because if you cannot synthesize what you do, and and actually, quite frankly, five seconds is generous. Uh, it's probably more like three or four. Uh, but if if you can't synthesize what you do and make make a tremendous impact in that few seconds, you're not going to get traction. And, and, and that's a sad statement on like the U S consumer, but the, that, that is the market. Reality. Yep. How would you say that differs from, I mean, obviously women, we have some listeners that are likely, you know, product, more product companies, others that are, are perhaps more nuanced services. Um, you know, what, you know, opportunities or challenges does that prevent, uh, sorry, present from a marketing perspective and how does that translate into what their, how their needs might differ? Yeah. Good question. I, 
I think you still have to get to that, to that point of distillation, no matter how, um, distinct or unique or, or, um, uh, segments of your, your audiences or, or, or how broad your audience is. Uh, so I, I think you still have to get there. The advantage that you would have if you are a highly specific product to a very specific audience is you still get five seconds, but you probably just have more opportunity to identify and get in front of that audience. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, you have a shorter, straighter line because we could target them easier. You know, the, the broader the product, the broader the offering, just the more diluted it gets and, and the more, you know, competition is there. So we have to kind of find ways to, you know, get in front of people and that, and that is more of, more of a challenge, but you, yep. either way, you, you still have to be able to distill what you do in that, in that crazy short period of time mm-hmm. and, and be, and be, and and be compelling, of- compelling, interesting, uh, emotional. You have, you have to invoke like six emotions in five seconds. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> A lot of our listeners, uh, as we've already established, are small and mid-sized companies. Um, and of course, they, they're listening because they're eyeing a U.S. expansion or maybe they're midway through it. Uh, and whatever the case is, it's, you know, it's a big decision for them um, and it's a, a huge capital expenditure for them. Uh, and many of them might face you know, cash flow challenges. So as they're sitting here and they're listening to this. They're thinking, okay, where do I start? Um, you know, if, if they have a limited amount of, um, you know, spend towards something like this, you know, they're thinking, where do I invest in first in terms of the marketing strategy? Could you speak a little bit uh, to that, but also, you know, how these companies can ensure they're getting the most value for the money they are spending on their marketing and branding approach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so two, two points to that. Um, one is... Um, if you if you want to do this fast, you better come with a really really fat checkbook, because speed means money. Um, if you slow it down and you and you dedicate more time to it and you take some baby steps through all the kind of the process that we've been talking about, like the the branding, the audience identification, like understanding your channels, like your journeys, it, you can baby step through that and make it very cost effective. It, it does not have to be expensive. Um, especially when, when you're starting to build and prove that small audience to validate your assumptions, build that first hundred, you know, the first hundred loyal followers. It's, that's not, it, it's not expensive. It, you just have to be very precise. And you have to be very thoughtful and, and you, and you have to, you have to be willing to start with a blank canvas. Uh, what we find a lot of is a lot of resources, whether that be time or money or, or, you know, hard costs or whatever, there is a lot of waste when uh, they're unwilling to start with the blank canvas. They say, nope, this works and we're going to do this and and boom, this is what we're going to do. And then it doesn't work and that's okay. Well, that's six months and a lot of money and then we have to kind of have to come back and start over. So if you, you can avoid a lot of those by just, you know, being, um, you know, taking two steps back, uh, going through this process uh, slow if need be. Uh, it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, it just has to be thoughtful and, mm-hmm. and then start to build that audience. Then, um, you know, how that differs between, you know, maybe putting a product or service. Uh, uh, I, I think that that's really going to depend, you know, if you, if you've got a budget and you want to stay constrained to a specific budget, then I think we, we look at how do like, what channels do we want to use that, that are going to work within those constraints? 
allow us to kind of validate some assumptions, maybe get some early wins, early successes that generate some revenue that we can invest back in and then maybe add a couple channels, you know, so, um, so, so it doesn't have to be this big, you know, big grand slam, big grand strategy. I think you can, you can start to do some testing in a very, um, uh, reasonable way. So, uh, mm-hmm. so you're not just getting in, in front of your headlights and all of a sudden, you know, money is flowing out to Google and Facebook and, and you're not getting any results and it's, you know, three months have gone by and all of a sudden you spent a, a crazy amount of money. Um, I, I think that's just the wrong way to do it. I think, I think having some, some professional patience and, and knowing that this has to kind of, uh, take time to, to nurture and, and mature. And if you try to force it, then you know, it could be done, but then it just requires a, a, a boatload of money. Yeah. I think the, the beauty of the U.S. market is that it's enormous, um, but there are lots of different, you know, um, ways to slice it and dice it and, and tackle it, you know, region by region or sub-region even, and mm-hmm. still have a lot of potential for wins. Um, that's important to understand because if you go in thinking you're going to conquer the U.S. Uh, in one fell swoop, um, you're, you're probably being a bit naive. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, and, and there are a lot of of very meaningful incremental successes along the way. It, it never ceases to amaze me. We'll run into a business that we've never heard of before in a segment we've never heard of before. And it's this little sleeper company. And maybe they are like the largest supplier of certain type of widget to a certain type of specialized audience. And they're this massive company and, and nobody knew. Um, and they're wildly successful. Um, and, and that, I mean, there's, hundreds of thousands of those all over the place um, because they they knew their they they know their audience they're they're comfortable with you know with not being like a big name brand because they don't have to be they they have to be meaningful and relevant to their audience uh, and to those who aren't their audience that's okay that's you know if you if it's really important to have brand name recognition and you want to run a super bowl ad for 10 million you know that's great if you've got the money, but it, it, it may not. Tra- and far between. Yeah, it's few and far between. And it, and it may not translate to any value to your customers or, or to your organization. Well, well, for those companies that don't want to spend $10 million on a Super Bowl ad, <laughs> maybe you could speak to the kind of average campaign spend a firm should be kind of prepared for, you know, even just on a monthly basis. In order to have an impact, I'm sure it's difficult to distill, but to the, to the extent you could kind of speak to what you see, um, you know, how, how that's structured in the U S market, just so our listeners can be a little bit more of an intelligent consumer of, of marketing and branding services. Sure. Uh, so, uh, the first thing I would say, and, and, and again, this, this, this isn't a plug, uh, for, for what I do, but don't underestimate the services. Uh, you know, you do need to have some experts. You, you do need to have some, some folks that are going to understand, your product, your vision, um, whether it be online or offline or physical product or service, um, I would say invest in some, a really good team. Um, and, and it's not just going to be one person. Um, uh, it going, you know, taking something to market and, you know, creating, crafting a brand, creating a message, deploying that, you know, over traditional or digital, it, uh, it, it takes a whole team of specialists. Um, so, so be prepared to partner either with an agency that has a team of specialists, um, that can, you know, bring all of, all of those resources to bear and, you know, work out, you know, the type of budget, you know, that, that you need to spend and, and, um, 
and, and just know that there's going to be services. Uh, because really that, that's what drives your quality message. Um, and if you're, if you're not starting with a quality message, no matter how much money you throw at digital marketing or Google or SEO, if your message doesn't resonate, you're, you won't convert. Um, so, so, so know that you're going to have a services investment. I would say, you know, for a, uh, you know, for, uh, and someone coming over and wanting to at least deploy in like the mid market, you're going to need, you know, 10 to 20 hours per month, um, you know, of a team, you know, combined hours of a team, uh, to get you up and running and, and get you going and nurture your campaigns and have enough time to be thinking about your business and, and helping your business, um, across all of those, those strategies, those marketing strategies that you're, that you're deploying. Um, so you know, if you use 10 to 20 hours as, as a starting point, you know, whatever hourly rate you can, you can multiply that up. Um, and then as far as hard costs, you know, printing and digital and, and, you know, Google and SEO, um, that's going to vary quite a bit, uh, by market. But if you're looking at a mid market, um, you know, in, in, if we look at the averages, if you're anticipating somewhere between, you know, a two to 3000 per month in media, I think that's a, that's a healthy budget to get going. It's a healthy budget to cut through the noise, uh, and at least start to gain that, you know, that first hundred audiences or the first hundred audience members and start to grow from there. And, and then you can make mm-hmm. really good decisions about then, you know, how to, how to refine that budget. Or if you do want to grow that budget, usually by the time you're growing that, that hard cost media budget, it's usually a good problem to have because you're, you're seeing results. Mm-hmm. So, so they really need to be prepared. So, you know, thinking about service fees for those team members that are, you know, living and breathing their brand during during that time, um, but then also those hard costs. So those are kind of the two elements for companies to really be thinking about. Yeah. Also, also be mindful um, or be wary of of agencies that want to sell you digital marketing. Um, just uh, our our philosophy is is we actually have our clients pay their own uh, hard costs, uh, so they actually pay you know, the, the advertising to Google and Facebook and whatnot. Um, we don't pass that through and mark it up. Um, so a, a lot of times there's a little bit of, um, like opaqueness around how much the, the media is being marked up. Uh, and is, is that going to the agency for profit, uh, and, and whatnot. So I would say try to find an agency that is just going to be clear and transparent about how much they're charging mm-hmm. you for services. Make sure they've got a great team of professionals that, that are, seasoned and, and they know what they're doing and they've, and, uh, you know, they're not just, you know, fresh out of school or something, but, um, and, and expect to pay a reasonable amount for that, you know, per hour. Uh, and then if you could work it, so you're buying your own media so that, that way, you know, that every dollar that you're spending on your media is, is the dollar going towards media and not just part, uh, you know, getting marked up by the agency. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that uh, we've really dived deep in some of these topics, but still probably only scratched the surface, unfortunately. But so we are approaching the end of this week's episode, which means it's time for our America Made Easy Wise Words segment, where we'd ask for any final thoughts you have, Kevin, that you want to leave our listeners with that maybe we, we did or didn't cover or you want to reemphasize? Yeah, I... Um... Uh, I, I, th- I think this marks the first time that anybody has, has said wise words and my name in the same sentence. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think I don't want to sound like a broken record. I, I think we've been talking about Kevin's this quite a bit. Humble. Obviously yeah. he's an expert in this topic or he wouldn't be on our America made easy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, without sounding like a broken record, I mean, I think it, you have to start with your brand. You have to start with your message. And um, a, a way to wrap this up is, is if you don't have time for your message or if you don't have time to believe in your brand, why in the world would anybody else? So, so if you're not making that investment, um, you, you shouldn't really ever expect the, you know, the U S consumer to, to respond uh, to that if, if it hasn't really been properly invested in, curated in, and, and, and made thoughtful. Um, and um, you see that from, you know, uh, very small businesses, uh, you know, from one person, you know, one or two people all the way up to huge businesses. Um, you know, don't be the business that has the, uh, you know, the 4th of July sale extravaganza on your homepage, uh, on Christmas. And I, I know that sounds silly, but we see it all the time. And, and what that tells the consumer is you just don't care. You, you don't, you're, you're, you're kind of asleep at the wheel. You don't care. You're, um, you're not, um, you're not recognizing, you know, the, the needs of the consumer or the credibility, uh, to, to the consumer. And, and those sorts of things will, will absolutely prevent you from, uh, from scaling up. Well, those are very wise words, Kevin. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. We might have you back again because I think there's still so much we could have covered. Uh, but it's been really fun to speak with you. Well, thanks. Thanks for the invite. It's a great way to great way to spend a Friday morning. And uh, I'm a I'm also a full time dance dad. Uh, I have a daughter that's a competitive dancer, and so it's a big competition this afternoon. We're kicking off dance season, so uh, glad I can I, I can do this, and then I have to kind of change uh, change my headspace and, <laughs> and go to go to a dance competition this afternoon. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Well, we wish you luck. Thanks again, Kevin. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the America Made Easy podcast with me, Morgan Piersdorf. My guest this week was Kevin O'Craigley. This podcast is produced and edited by Morgan Piersdorf and Rob Eastman in partnership with Newable Avitas. You'll find links to more information on this week's episode and how America Made Easy can help your business in the notes section of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and introduce a friend. You can also write to us at americamadeeasy at newable.co.uk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>